Happy Easter, everyone. You're the resurrection that we've waited for. You buried the night and came with the morning. You're the King of heaven. The praise is yours. The longer the quiet, the louder the chorus.
Welcome to Horizon and Happy Easter. We're so thankful that you are here celebrating with us. We're singing that song because Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered death to give us life. It's the greatest miracle that the world has ever known, but in some ways it's also the greatest mystery of the Bible, that he had to die to save us. Like, how does dying help? Well, Jesus explains this in the book of John by using the image of wheat. He says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything, Jesus? Well, don't worry, his friends didn't understand right away either, but he was using the wheat as a hint that his death was a necessary part of the plan. You see, wheat is crushed to get the seed out. It's beaten and then buried in the ground in an image of death, but not long after that, it begins to rise from the earth, just as Jesus did, and with it comes new life. So there is something beautiful about amber waves of grain blowing in the wind. But wheat was not just designed to be beautiful for a painting. Instead, because that first seed was beaten, because that first seed faced death, it brings forth an abundant harvest of new seeds and new life. So when you see Jesus beaten, crucified, and buried, it's not time to give up hope. This was the plan all along, because just like that seed, he rose from the dead out of the ground to bring an abundant harvest of new, abundant life, new seeds in us. In fact, it says in John 3.16 that this message that death could be defeated was that at the center of why Jesus came. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Please stand with us. We'll sing that very verse together.
in robes of white The blazing sun shall pierce the night And I will rise among the saints My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face
buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me oh jesus yours is the doesn't want hope like that we just sang about this year? Who doesn't want new beginnings? And yet Christianity seems obsessed with the subject of life conquering death. Why is that? Like, why not be a good person as its focus? Why not praying better? These are all things the Bible talks about, but it keeps coming back to the major theme of life conquering death. Well, did you know when Jesus died and rose from the grave, that movement occurred during the Roman Empire. And the Romans didn't consider Christianity a religion or a philosophy. They initially referred to it as the death-defeating movement. And they actually called Christians atheists, of all things, because a Roman would come up to a Christian and say, hey, we have temples to Zeus and we have a priest to Apollo and, and Demeter. Where is your temple to a Christian? And the Christian would say, we don't have a temple. I am the temple. God lives here. You have no temple? No, I am the temple. Well, where are your priests, they would say. And the Christians would say, I am a priest. I talk to people about God's promises, and I talk to God about people's needs through prayer. I am a holy priest because of what Jesus did for me. They would say, what? Well, well where, do you, where do you make your sacrifices? And the Christians would say, well, I'm a living sacrifice. Because God came to earth and died for me and rose for me, I try and live every day to sacrifice, to be generous to others, to be kind to others, to be patient with other people. I live as a living sacrifice because my God defeated death for me. The Romans would scratch their heads and they wouldn't even understand how Christianity turned the Roman Empire upside down as a death-defying movement. And this idea was hinted at by Jesus when he said, Surely I say to you, a seed of wheat, unless it's buried, falls to the ground, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
If it goes through that process, boy, it'll produce much fruit. What does that mean anyway? What does it mean to die? What does it mean to produce much fruit? And I think as we understand this kind of unique mystery parable Jesus tells, we're going to find what purpose is for your life and for mine. So that's the first question. What does it mean to die? Like what is, when Jesus says die, immediately you might say, Chad, I don't come to church very often, but immediately I come back and I see the Bible's wrong about something and Jesus is wrong about something. And all my skepticism and all my questions are validated here because when you put a seed in the ground, it does not die. Wrong, Jesus. That is scientifically inaccurate. It doesn't die. The life is in the seed. What's Jesus talking about here? To which I say, well, at least the shell dies, Right? But I don't think Jesus is making a scientific statement here, as we're going to find out. What he's saying is very figurative about what happens to the seed's purpose. It's got to go in the ground and die to something in order to produce what it was made for. But even that, we use the word dying figuratively all the time, right? We say, I'm dying to see that movie, or I'm dying to make that happen, or I'm dying to meet that person, or I'm dying for some chocolate cake, right? We say stuff like that. And burying we use figuratively to bury the truth, to bury your pride, or maybe to bury the hatchet. In fact, that idea of burying the hatchet actually comes from the 17th century. There was a warring tribe of Native American Indians who was warring against another tribe. One would come over and you know, damage some property, and the other would come back and damage double the property. And somebody would come over and kill one of the, one of the, the tribe, and somebody would come back and kill the, the son of the, the chief. And the bitterness and the violence just kept escalating until the two chieftains decided to meet together in front of all of their group, and they literally dug a hole, and they took their hatchet, and they buried the hatchet as a symbol that they were going to bury their right to revenge and their right to escalate violence and their right to get even. And by burying the hatchet, they were going to make peace with one another. It's a symbol figuratively when you bury something so that something new can grow for your kids and grandkids, life and life eternal, abundance and forgiveness and peace. So let's come back to Jesus' words. He says that seed, unless it dies, it's alone. So that's a weird way to say it. It's alone to what? Well, because when it dies or goes in the ground, it now accomplishes its purpose its purpose was to produce much fruit. As long as it's alone, as long as it doesn't go in the ground, it can never achieve its purpose of producing much grain or producing much fruit. And so a dead seed is really a seed that's dead to its purpose. Which is ironic because often we so grab hold of my will, my desires, my hope, my plan, my rights to be right in an argument And because of that, we miss out on our purpose, which is that through dying to self, we actually produce much joy and greater peace and greater hope and greater forgiveness. But here's the question. Are you willing to die so that his life can produce much fruit in you? Are you willing to die to one thing, a habit, a struggle, in order that he might produce purpose and much fruit in your life. Jesus goes on to explain this metaphor figuratively. He says, if you love your life, you've got to be willing to lose it. 
You got to hate your life for the world's sake. Then you can keep it and you'll have a new type of life. A new type of growth in your life will be eternal life. Sweeter fruit of love and joy and peace and forgiveness in your life. If you want to serve me, you need to follow me. I was talking to a couple recently who had been through a time of separation. They came up to me and they said, Chad, God is beginning to form new life in me. I said, well, we need some of those old patterns in your marriage to die, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we don't want that marriage back. There were some, some dead patterns in that marriage. Let's bury that thing and new life focused on each other, serving each other, loving each other, forgiving each other. And they both spoke of having to bury some pride and bury some habits. And I was so proud of their life in Jesus was producing newfound habits, new life. But they first had to bury some things. I don't know if you know this, but 20 years ago, we had our first public service at Horizon. 20 years ago, this Easter, today. 20 years ago, a group of people said, I want to create a space, an environment where people can come and find their purpose. What can happen when you, when you put God's life in the center of your life? And those people were busy back then. They had lots of things to do with their time and their money and their energy and talent. But they said, let's invest, let's bury some of our time that could have been spent on just you know, convenience or comfort, and let's invest in other people. So we met at Cincinnati Country Day School for over 10 years. I was here, we had big programs for children and kids and programs we set up every day and tore back down every day. We used to have a cafeteria, we do smaller services, we do a little acoustic type worship. You'd see Kenny back when, you know, his, uh, he was looking much younger, back when I was much younger and had a little more hair up here. These were the, these were the early days of Cincinnati Country Day. We had to create a space where people felt comfortable. And then 10 years ago, this last January 2021, we moved into this place. I remember standing by that window and somebody had to take a picture of me when I was praying for that first service. God, that this would be a place people would find you and discover the Bible could bring new life into them. And people came flooding in those doors saying, I want to come to a place to discover my purpose and how God might help me discover my purpose. We filled rooms, two services and three services and four services on a Saturday and our children's programs got filled up and people were volunteering and people were bearing the time they could spend on one thing to volunteer and to teach and to sing and to, to memorize. And 20 years of public service because we wanted people to find what can happen when you get aligned to your purpose by discovering this principle that Jesus talked about, to die to self, to find eternal life. But the second question is important too. What does it mean to produce much fruit? And he wasn't just talking figuratively, he was also talking literally. Because Jesus says to, to produce much fruit that's why I came. I came to literally die. So through my death and resurrection, people would come to find forgiveness and peace and eternal life in heaven because of what I was going to do. And here's how he says it. If it dies, it produces much grain. And he goes on. He's got this nickname for himself called the Son of Man. He says the Son of Man, talking about himself, must, I must, my purpose, I must, I was sent here because I must be lifted up on the cross. Now, my soul is troubled. Oh, my goodness, this is not convenient. It's not going to be easy. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, this was my purpose. I came to this hour for this. Father, glorify yourself. Grow something out of my sacrifice. And if I am lifted from the earth, I will have much fruit. I want to draw all people to myself. 
And the writer says, oh, by the way, he said this signifying what kind of a death he would die. He'd be lifted up on a cross, buried in the ground like that piece of wheat, and then much fruit would come of it. Now, if you remember, Jesus walking through the garden, right? Olive trees, flowers, and he's there praying, and he's like, oh, Father, please, I don't want to drink of this cup. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to have nails pounded into my hands and feet. I don't want to have the scourge on my back. Father, please take this cup from me. And in that moment, he died to his preferences. He died to his right to not have to put up with this. He died to his right to a convenient life, to a comfortable life, to an easy life when he said, but not my will but yours be done. And because he died to his own preferences, his own rights, it's because of that moment. He said, I did that so that my people would know two things. Two things, I want much fruit that they would know where they're going and who they can become. Here's how he says it. He continues on from the metaphor of the wheat. Jesus said a little while longer, and the light's with you, and I'm the light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. For he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. You might say, I hope I'm getting to heaven. I wish I'm getting to heaven. Maybe I'm getting to heaven. Hopefully I didn't have stuff to get to heaven. You never know. You're walking in the mystery of maybe I'll be good enough for God. I don't know. Hopefully it all outweighs. But if you base your eternity not based on what you do for God at least on what God did for you, you can know where you are going. And he goes on, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Do you know you're designed for so much more than just the number of goals you score, the size of your territory, the size of your practice? You are so much more than how much you make or how much is in your bank account or how big your house is your car. You are designed for a purpose to know that you are a child of the light. And all of us are God's children in that he's our creator, but he came to be our father. And moving from God being your creator to God being your father is to believe in the light, to say, I want you to adopt me into your family because I knew you died and buried so that I could become, future tense, a child of light. That's why Jesus came for you and that's why he came for me. That we know where we're going and know what we are designed to be, our purpose, to live out this identity being fully loved and forgiven by our heavenly father. That's why he came to die. You know, I met my wife in Chicago, and one of our favorite places to go was right here in Olive Park. We'd be walking along Olive Park on dates. We'd look at that reflecting pool. We could see that little section of, of Lake Michigan. You could see the reflection of John Hancock building. We'd go out on the rocks, and we'd sing songs together, and we'd play music together. I once had a buddy of mine who was a Marine sneak out like a table and chairs and, and, and a sparkling grape juice and a flower and, and surprised her at the end of it. It wasn't until years later I found out why it was called Olive Park. It's because of this man, Milton Olive. At age 18, he and some buddies, four of them, were sent to Vietnam. 
They were different ages, different races, different places from the country and different backgrounds. As they made their way through the weeds of the jungle, they came to a clearing and suddenly they heard, (laughs) grenade! Intuitively, instinctually, Milton threw himself on that grenade, losing his life but saving the life of his friends. He was given the Medal of Honor, the highest award given in the military. At 18 years old, he intuitively gave his life to save others. And these three guys said, we are going to live differently Because when you feel, and that's just something you think about or heard about or it's intellectual, when you feel the reality that someone died so you would have a second chance, a second birth, a second try at life, you say, I got to live with purpose now. I got to live intentionally now. And every year they give out a Milton Olive Award for those who are incredibly courageous. In the same way Jesus said, I came to die so that everyone around me could have new life and align themselves to the purpose they were created for. That's why I came. So here's my question for you. If what Jesus says is true, and he practiced it, right? And we want to live that kind of life by inviting his life into ours. Are you willing to bury some self in order that his new life might grow in you? Are you willing to bury some self? What kind of self might you need to bury? Maybe it's self-criticism. You beat yourself up all the time. I'll never forgive myself for what I did 10 years ago. You even say things like, I'm beating myself up. It's time to look at the cross, see Jesus being crucified, beaten, beard ripped out, and say, that guy was beaten enough. And no amount of beating myself up is adding to that. I'm going to bury my self-criticism and let him lift me up. Maybe it's time to bury the self-justification. I'm basically a good person. I think I get to heaven on my own merits. Maybe it's time to bury that and say, I want to let God justify me. I want whatever Jesus did right, not what I did right. Help me stand before God one day. Maybe it's time to bury the self-reliance. You say, God, I know better than you how to live my life. Maybe the one who made the universe and holds your atoms together just might know better how to live your life. Are you willing to bury self-reliance in order to have new life and fruit produced in your life? How about self-obsession? You've told people for years, I got a bad self-image, I got a bad self-concept, and you've been telling it for years, it hasn't gotten any better because it's all built on self. It's time to bury self-image, bury self-concept, bury self-obsession and say, I'm now going to view myself how God sees me, how God feels about me, what God says about me. I'm going to find my identity in God-image, not self-image. See, Paul says that's why Jesus came, that you would align yourself to your purpose. He writes in Corinthians, this I pass on to you, that which was passed on to me, that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried, it's like that wheat seed, according to the scriptures. He rose again on the third day, just like was predicted in the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas or or Peter, and then to 12 disciples, and then to over 500 at one time. So where's the much fruit? Well, fast forward in the Bible to the end, the book of Revelation, it gives us a picture of all the fruit produced by what Jesus did. It says, this end of time, everyone is gonna stand before God and they're gonna be singing, Alleluia, which means praise to God. Thanks for what you did for me, God, is a way of saying it. 
For the God, the Lord omnipotent reigns. He rules. He's king. Let us be glad and rejoice. Why? Because what Jesus did, and to her, all the people who believe in Jesus, it was granted or given to be arrayed in fine linen, clean clothes. They're wearing the clothes of forgiveness. And if you lean in, you can still hear your grandmother who died years ago. She's singing, Alleluia. I know who I am and I know where I was going because of Jesus. And if you lean into your grandkids that one day sing, Alleluia, because someone died for me, I can know forgiveness and peace. Everyone you've ever heard of and everyone who ever will, the, the scene in heaven is all the fruit that came from Jesus being willing to die for each one of us. Maybe this will be the, the moment for you that you want to receive that gift and you want to stand before God with everyone through human history who knows the, the final forgiveness of Jesus and say, hallelujah, thanks to God for cleansing me of everything I've ever done. Why don't you pray with me? Maybe you want to pray in your own heart and just say, God, I'm bearing self today. Self-criticism, self-reliance, I'm thanking you for, for dying for me. And I'm inviting your new life to come and grow in me. And show me how to live like a child of the light. And teach me how to every day live with purpose. To raise my hallelujah and thanksgiving to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
together that Christ the Lord is risen today. If I could be so bold, I think that what you have just heard is the most important thing you have ever heard. That Christ died just as he predicted. That he was buried and rose again just as he predicted. So that for us, exactly like Chad said, we can know where we are going and who we can become. You know, none of us knows how much time we have. And so I just encourage you, even as you're leaving this evening, if that's an invitation that you have not accepted from Jesus before, 
to receive that forgiveness, to trust him for that, to know that your alleluia is based on his eternal life, would you consider, just consider that invitation from him today? And I thank you for being with us to celebrate. Happy Easter.